welcome to Ask ADI Anything. Today's webinar is the final episode in our surgeons. Don't worry, it's not the final episode overall. Just in this series, we have more series planned for May, June, and July. We'll announce those series shortly. Now, over the last four weeks, we've received hundreds of questions on the webinars that we have done, questions about the future of their careers from students, questions about how craftspeople are going to survive, how design firms are going to survive. So today's episode is going to see a little less of me talking. That's been another request. Can we have less of Suresh talking? And I'm going to take questions from audience and I'm going to pose it to our all-star panel here. And if you have further questions that you would like to ask today, use the Q&A function and send us your questions. I'm just going to give it a couple of minutes. The room is filling up. We have about 87, 88 participants. Uh, while we do that, can I ask Karishma Ajmera, treasurer of ADI, to say hello to all of us. Karishma? Hi, everyone. So happy to see you here today. I'm Karishma Ajmera. I run a UX design company in Bangalore. And as part of ADI, I play the role of treasurer at both the national level and at the Bangalore chapter level. The ADI is an independent national body of the design community that creates an interface between design professionals and the industry, the educational institutes and the policy makers in the government. The ADI leverages the expertise and strong network of designers to plan design events, share design knowledge and resources through focused activities, as well as strengthen design education in the country. Uh, the current COVID situation and change that it has brought upon us has presented umpteen challenges. We have learned to realign ourselves and define a new normal. Much like other communities, the design community has also been disrupted. The question that everyone is asking is how do we survive? What happens after? What's next? And how do we prepare for resurgence? Right through the month of April, ADI has facilitated a webinar every week on the theme of resurgence. During each webinar, we received scores of questions from you about how the design industry is affected by COVID-19. But unfortunately, we ran out of time each time to respond to all your queries. Today, we're bringing back some of our previous speakers and panelists and adding a few more experts who will be here to, um, to answer all your questions. I also want to take a minute to let you know that you can keep abreast of all the exciting events that ADI facilitates every month by signing up to becoming a member on our website, adi.org.in. Thanks, over to you, Suresh. Thanks, thanks, Karishma. Portland, let's introduce our panelists. We have Anushka Sani, she's the founder of Thought Over Design. Hi. Vinay Rao is the founder and director Hello. of Bank Design Hello. from Bangalore. Devika Krishnan is the CEO of Vyati Weaves. Hi, Devika. Hi. Jay Datta is a senior vice president product design at Make My Trip in India. Ashwini Deshpande, who is joining us through audio because connectivity is poor due to a thunderstorm in Pune. She is the director and co-founder of Elephant Design. Ayush Kasliwal is the CEO and creative director of AKDPL, Ayush Kasliwal Designs Private Limited. All right, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, we're going to jump into it. Now, before we start, uh, you know the session is being recorded as a video recording and we have Tanvi Nabar who's an artist and designer she'll be making sketch notes during the session at the end of the session she will she will share her sketch notes with us let's start first with a poll to assess the mood in the room one of our audience members Shankar Subramaniam sent us uh, this poll question he said what is the mood in the room the first poll what's the mood in the room fear panic hope or despair all right overwhelming 76 percent is hope all right, thank you. Let me first go to uh, Jay Datta. First question we have, and some questions have come from multiple people and some have come from specific people. Multiple questions people have asked us, what good is a designer in time of an apocalypse? Are designers needed at all? JDU? <laughs> well, uh, we are probably virus potter, uh, that's for sure. Uh, but apart from that, I think each one of us can help in some ways. Firstly, by staying home. That's very, very important. But uh, there are a bunch of ways you can help. And I think um, we are seeing a lot of people do that in their own special, small ways. Um, I guess the main thing is to just find ways, find reasons, and find ways in which we can leverage on our design learning, design skills, etc. Um, I know Ashwini has been doing something. I know a lot of people have been doing a bunch of things. I've been involved in something as well. It's just leveraging what you have and, and using that, even if it affects a one person, two people, 30, 40, maybe 30 million for that matter, or 1.3 billion. 
that's great. But I think scale um, would be great. But even if it's not scale, even making matters good for one person, great. All right. Question number two from Tanvi Palkar. And I'm going to uh, send, give this to Rashmi. Uh, Rashmi, you run Studio Copper. You do a lot of work with artisans and craftspeople in the area of copper and also in, in the weaving industry. How are you gearing up for the uh, after quarantine situation? What happens when the quarantine is lifted? Yeah, so uh, we we have plans for uh, you know kickstarting uh, so-called our supply chain because for the past month and a half our artisans have been idle and they have been completely out of work which means that uh, so it, it's it's a kind of a um, circular thing for us uh, because the markets are down the um, revenues on our website have fallen and therefore the citizens have no work uh, to kick start this whole thing uh, we uh, have sort of uh, chalked out a plan a medium term kind of plan uh, that we would in fact be using this time to design newer products that will address you know needs for covid so since copper is uh, antimicrobial and it has self-cleaning properties, so we've already started working on uh, products that will, you know, address this thing for the market. And hopefully then this will translate into more work for the artisans. And we're also collaborating because, see, uh, I think human beings uh, have two very precious commodities. Uh, one is money and the other is time. And fortunately for us on this panel or uh, whoever's listening in today, we have uh, time on our side. We are not uh, on the front lines. So um, I think that this time is best utilized to uh, A, to collaborate, B, to design, C, to keep talking to your artisans, uh, you know, and send them sketches and things like that. All this we have put into process already. All right. Next question is for Ayush Kasliwal. Ayush, how are you marketing your products during the lockdown? You depend a lot on retail sale, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, we do depend a lot on retail sales, but we also have a significant footprint uh, in institutional sales. Now, uh, the challenge that we get is that in institutional sales, we get the feedback that their markets are not there. So we've seen a cutback in orders. So right now, what we're trying to do is um, look at forecasts, look at how things are changing and design to them. Um, I don't know whether it's the right time to market as such. I think it's the time to speak and talk about what is needed. Um, I think there are other pressing concerns and uh, to actually push out a product right now might not be the wisest thing to do. It is not the climate for it. It is not the time for it. So um, we're kind of holding back a little bit and seeing, uh, you know, strategically, what do we need to do over a slightly longer period of time? And being a design company, respond by design and not just by pushing out what we have. All right. Anushka, you're a young design firm. How many people do you have in your design firm? When nine of us. All right. Yeah. So here's the question for you. Yeah. The question from one of our viewers is how to stay positive and design things when you know your career is at stake. Not your career, but the people who work with you. How do you motivate them to keep going when who knows what's going to happen next? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've, we've kind of done a little bit of what Jay was talking about. We've we kind of put the word out there that we're available. You know, one or two of our projects got pushed to later. So we put the word out there that we're available to help with projects that are helping the crisis. So we actually ramped up a little bit and started working a few more hours every day to help a couple of clients wow. that are doing things in the space of addressing the crisis in some way, whether it's a contact tracing app or a crowdsourcing campaign for some data. Um, and I think that that really motivated the team to, to know that, look, while we can't directly uh, help in some way, we're staying home and we're also doing something. Um, apart from that, I think that, you know, there's, there's so many interesting things going on online. You can even participate in some fundraising campaigns, put your art out there and, and you know, make something out of it, fundraise for a certain NGO. Um, so I think there are ways to kind of positively use our time. Um, that being said, I think it's also really okay to sometimes not feel that positive. I think while all of us over here are always trying to feel positive, I think all of us go through ups and downs. I go through them too. And so we need to also be really easy on ourselves when we're having a tough day and communicate with whoever we might be working with that, you know, I'm having a bad day today. Maybe they'll help you uh, get your mood up in some other way. I, I don't think it's possible for everyone to be at 100% all the time right now. And I think that's totally fine. 
All right, next question for Devika Krishnan. We have a question that's come in right now. Uh, how will the lockdown impact the hiring of designers and crafts companies, for instance? Um, pretty badly. Uh, just as it's been uh, tough for most other enterprises. So I, uh, you know, I, not just in this crisis, but in all my years when people ask me questions about how has this affected the craft sector, how has tsunami affected the craft sector, or an earthquake affected mm -hmm. the craft sector, I say, how has it affected the automotive sector or any other uh, mm -hmm. manufacturing sector? So we have to actually look at craft as a manufacturing sector, which mm -hmm. employs people, uh, accepting that it's more people-oriented than machine-oriented. And mm -hmm. so just the way other agencies are having a tough time hiring, craft is also having a tough time hiring. All right, so not good news for the crafts designer. It's going to be a little tough, but it's going to be tough for everybody. Yes. If that's of any consolation for you. All right, next question comes from Shalini Subramanian. She's a designer maker of slow fashion. Uh, Shalini asks, Ashwini, in your opinion, what could an organization like ADI do to assist design-led local businesses uh, in this time of crisis? And she says, I do not necessarily mean monetarily. What else could ADI be doing? I think it's, it's, a, it's a real question uh, for most of us. Uh, what could ADI really do for uh, you know, any kind of agency or freelancer or student or even academics? Because all of us are facing something which we've never faced before. Uh, so I think as a community, uh, of course, there is uh, knowledge sharing, which we are doing right now. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's just good to have like a sounding board and just say things out loud and uh, mind clears. Uh, sometimes you want some very specific kind of advice and then you could be asking for that. And I think this kind of a panel has such a diversity that you could ask any kind of question. Uh, but what area I really could do is one support in terms of, uh, you know, trying to say what, what is likely to happen as the next scenario. What are the trends that are going to be uh, in place right after we get out of this lockdown stage, which is actually not going to be one day, but it's going to be phased out. Uh, what ADI could also do is try and create certain possibilities of new learnings. So if any of us are able to take some learning sessions, either give or take, I think those could be organized mm -hmm. through ADI. Mm -hmm. ADI could also reach out to corporates and uh, you know try and get them to think of how they could use design in many ways. and have a roster of freelancers or smaller agencies that could be connected to these corporates. So many things could be done, uh, many things need to be done and I think one of them is what's happening right, All right now. So become a member of ADI, it's adi.org.in, become a member, give us your suggestions and we'll try and do as much as we can. When the next question for you, Anushka just said that her company's actually ramped up a little bit during the lockdown with more work coming in, especially COVID related work or COVID allied work. Tell us a little bit about uh, how it's going at Bank Design. How many people do you have and what's the mood in the office? Yeah, so yeah, thanks for having me here. So just quick background, uh, you know, this is my third recession. I've been running this company since the year 2000. Okay. Um, so um, yeah, it's not a recession yet, but we've, been, we've seen this twice over at least before. Um, so yeah, we're between somewhere between 25 and I think 27, 28 people right now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so the work, I would say there's, I, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I think the method of working has just moved online, but we find ourselves a lot more productive. And I think that's a very good thing. Uh, and there's a, actually a lot more work to do now. If you have clarity on what you want to do next, once we expect this lockdown to end, or even just in addressing the, uh, you know, the COVID crisis itself. So uh, while some of our past projects and, you know, we work in a slightly different model. We are not a conventional uh, agency model. We have a skin in the game in what we do. So quite often our work is, you know, developing and licensing brands. Uh, so we see a huge amount of work in, you know, in the area of health, uh, you know, public wellness and sanitation. Um, that's all going to be happening very soon. Uh, plus there's a whole bit of, I would say, uh, you know, wellness, fashion, uh, those are all areas that we're currently working in. Um, if anything, I think we're uh, at a point where uh, we just have too much to do. Uh, are you also thinking of ramping up then, like Anushka said? Uh, so, are we ramping up people? Yeah. Um, as of now, no. Uh, we've, uh, we've always a, you know, a partly distributed company. Uh, I've always had people in multiple mm -hmm. cities, in multiple countries, mm -hmm. and that is still the case. Uh, East just that we always had a central nervous system that, that we had all our things coming in and so on that we used to make it easier. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, so I think we uh, would be opportunistically adding on partners, not necessarily people. Okay. Uh, 
in a project as we go along. Okay, next question for uh, JD. This is from Mahima. Mahima asks, JD, how can young designers collaborate with functional teams that might need more bandwidth? For example, the Arogya Setu team might need more designers. How can a young designer sign up with you? No, great question. Um, there are actually quite a few teams who have reached out. Um, people who have ideas on what to build on top of Arogya Setu. Uh, people who can contribute skills. People who can do a bunch of other things. So as of now, as and when there's a need. So for example, we act we needed illustrators pretty badly and we've kind of are working with a studio who reached out to us we're doing that we are in touch with over 19 ngos who have been doing some great work in terms of content because what arogya setu does is also goes out in 12 languages and um, and and to a very very diverse set of people so for example hand washing is is great i think for you and me it's great but what about people who don't have enough water running water there so there are people who are doing some amazing content. Watch us um, self-isolation mean when you are a family of five in a 10 foot by 10 foot room, kind of. What does all of so? So there are a whole bunch of people who have thought about this. We are kind of getting the content into the Arogya Setu app in multiple languages. We are also working, I think the one big need for us today, more than designers, is translators. Mm -hmm. you know, because we need to translate everything into 12 languages. Um, the government of Assam is actually, the chief minister's office is providing translations to us on ad hoc basis because almost every day something goes out and has to be translated, right? So I think that's probably the biggest, biggest challenge for us. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, please feel free to reach out at any point in time. Uh, if we have the need, we would definitely kind of be happy to involve Content would be a big area, actually. All right, let's get on to the next question. Uh, Ayush, I think this question is for you. Uh, one of our viewers asks, how do you see the handicraft industry bouncing back post-COVID, and how can designers contribute? So I think, you know, I'll answer part of it, and Devika might want to answer part of it as well. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a huge sentiment that we are seeing, which is for the handmade, um, which I think we need to ride upon and establish not as a fad or something that happens you know, in a time of crisis, but something that happens by in the normal course of life in any case. So um, I, I think you know, the times have always been tough for the, uh, for the makers. And uh, the fact that we have a great response and a lot of people are sympathetic to the idea and are looking upon it as a very um, viable option. I mean, a lot of things that we do in our homes are now we doing it ourselves. We are kind of cleaning mm -hmm. our own stuff, we're making our own food. So I think the relationship to the hand itself has changed in these few days and thereby a respect for the handmade. And I think that is something which people are going to hold very, uh, I wouldn't say dear to them, but as an experience that, that is important. And I think that might carry on. So I'm, I'm actually very optimistic about um, the outcome of this process. This said, uh, it is very tough for the makers because many of them had stock, many of them had raw material, no orders. So, you know, it's a very complex scenario and there's no one solution that can possibly come out of it. There'll be many, many solutions. You know, what we need firstly is to look upon it, look upon ourselves as people who use products that are handmade. So just get something handmade. I think to start with, that's the first thing that all of us can do, quite irrespective of what we do and what our skills mm -hmm. are. And if you're a designer, the first thing you can do is see what around you you can work with. If you have a tailor around you, okay, let me design something for myself, which might be something new for the tailor to work with. Or let me, you know, it, it's just exploring. We, we are fortunate to be living in a country like India, where things are made literally around the corner of our homes. And I think to, to grab that opportunity with both hands and say, let me see what I can do and start doing it would be the very first step other NGOs, organizations, enterprises like what Rashmi is doing, what Devika is doing, who are involved in it, yes. But then there are other situations also and other circumstances that all these companies and organizations have to be very confident of. So I would say if I had to, you know, go start doing something, see what is around me, see what is around me, start there. Okay, excellent. I'm going to get a couple of shirts tailored with my local tailor after this, Ayush. Yes, good. <laughs> in fact, uh, the maid who used to cook for me is also a part-time tailor, so I'm going to get her to make some clothes for me. Devika, <laughs> another part of this question that comes to you. You said the craft sector is a manufacturing industry like any other. Now, big industry, automobile industry, for instance, or a heavy industry, uh, there's talk of big ticket financial aid to those industries, and they might recover a bit faster. Is it any different for the craft industry? 
will it take longer to recover than say automotive automotive industry for instance it would take it always has taken longer because um the the governmental policies have always been pro mass production uh we don't even have to go as far as the automotive we just have to take hand loom textiles versus mill made textiles the amount of subsidy that power loom industries get versus what uh we have to struggle through in hand loom uh is itself why people go for cheap uh Uh, power loom ripoffs of uh, original hand loom pieces um so yes at policy level things have to change if things have to improve that said i have worked uh, close to 3 decades in the craft sector and i'm telling you there is nothing more resilient than the craft industry okay we will not bow down like come what may you take any uh, calamity that has come our way you take the take the earthquake that devastated bhuj entire communities that went into ajrak printing their their villages were obliterated but you know what because it's a craft that ties up a people because it's it's an occupation that is not a singular boss who's governing down mm-hmm. towards his minions but it's a community that works together the the biggies in the trade actually pooled money together bought a large tract of land pack of land and put all the ajrak printers together and formed ajrakpur ajrakpur is an is an offshoot is a little child of the earthquake and it's a thriving industry you take basket weavers along the coast in tamil nadu you i mean i have so many examples that uh, come up with the strength after a calamity all right next question goes to ashwini deshpande i want to take off from what uh, devika said about uh, designers impacting policy and here's a controversial question why does the indian design community take an apolitical ashwini should we as designers be have a stronger political voice is is it a political i i don't think so i think we've been uh, if you if you see any of the whatsapp groups uh, of designers yeah. uh, there are a lot of very heavy political discussions so i don't think we've really been that uh, but perhaps we've been uh, and and this is one of the things that i feel designers need uh i think if we really want our voice heard and if we want to make a difference in the political scenario we need to learn diplomacy which uh, we haven't learned yet and i think i think we need to learn that and then yeah those you know uh, chief minister of uh, maharashtra is an art school graduate yes. from jj school of art so i mean you know he's learned something else besides the art oh, he's actually learned the art of art itself so we can or right, next question <laughs> to anushka sani from this is from abhishek jana one of our viewers He says, "Do you think a design agency should encourage their employees to go out and take up individual freelance work because agencies may not be able to pay full salaries for a short while?" Yeah, I think this is a good question because you know I think I've also had this chat with my team. You know, because we've been hearing things about some agencies doing pay cuts and things like that. We've actually also been talking about whether to even retain our studio because we're a small studio, so we don't know really what to do. um i think if um you know an agency is going to be giving a pay cut i think it's only fair that people who are on the team are able to take on other work if they're able to get that other work mm-hmm. i think it would also be a really smart idea and if you're a young designer in an organization and if you're able to get business maybe you could speak to the founder or the, a partner in your company and say hey you know what i'm going to also try and bring business to the company and if that's possible maybe they could get a commission on the project as well so why limited to just a small freelance project you know i think everyone can become a a, a tool for business development at a time like this and if you are getting a bigger project that requires more people involve the company as well but yes i think if agencies are giving pay cuts perhaps you know giving people the freedom to do a couple of more things um if they have the time to do that as well if they're giving a shorter time period to work in why not you know um and anushka you personally would be open to this kind of revenue share with your team if they brought in a new client you know and i've actually told people in the past as well on my team if you bring in any business let's chat about it you know i've always been pretty open about it and just to kind of talk about the the point that i mentioned earlier when i was talking about ramping up i actually meant that ramping up the number of hours we were putting in mm-hmm. i think right now we're being mindful about hiring new people that being said we had hired two freshers but one of them is actually able to join because they're in bombay so they're able to join um so that's just a point on the ramping up i think everyone's also being a little wary about how they're ramping so i was going to say that the revenue share uh, you know the things that you do with your colleagues is is actually a great deal um you know they they're sort of married to your 
to working with you for a long time anyway. And, uh, you know, giving them uh, a stake in the outcome um, actually works wonders in multiple ways. And so even if there's a success on a particular program, it's always good to go reward that team uh, more than just the, you know, the original salary that they were getting. And that's just and, not a COVID uh, uh, intervention. That could be a It's not just product. a COVID intervention. Yeah. yeah. All right. We have over 175 people, I think, currently tuned into this discussion. It's time for poll number two. What one subject do you wish you were taught in design school? Finance, marketing, HR, or all of the above? What would have helped you the most during this time? All right. Let me first ask the panelists. There you go, all of the above 50% and the other two is split between finance and marketing. So design school should be teaching finance, marketing and HR. Yeah, so Rashmi, you echo that. You wish you were taught a little more finance. Completely, completely. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is no doubt about it. Anushka, you agree? Because, a little um, more finance? Uh, yes, definitely, definitely. Okay. It's been Sorry. Ayush, You know, I think... Uh, Many things are driven or distracted by a fear of numbers. It's a fear. And I think getting rid of that fear because numbers come in so many different places. You know, when you're looking at the spreadsheet on your sales, you're dealing with numbers. Statistics, I think, would be one thing which might be to teach because it gets rid of the fear of numbers and to make overall larger patterns of it. Mm -hmm. Is one thing which I would say a design school should teach, you know, how to look at numbers, statistics and make sense out of them. So data science, in a sense, uh, is what you'd suggest. Yeah, Devika, go ahead. I think basic business management. We all came out of design school without any idea how any business runs. We were mm -hmm. very good with form, follows, function, da, 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 da. But how does money follow form or function or something? <laughs> <laughs> we never understood. So I think that is really important. And the other thing, what I liked about the poll, is that damn? As a community, we find HR redundant. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like what? Nobody no. wants to learn <laughs> HR. <laughs> no. Yeah, true. Devika, if I may suggest a book called "Business for Bohemians," it's an excellent book written for yes. creative people, and it's yeah. a, I forget the author's name, but it's a very nice book on how Bohemians should run a business. All right, actually, Devika, next question is for you as well. Seeds <laughs> like textile design are heavily dependent on tactile experience to the customer. Uh, this obviously takes a heavy toll during the lockdown. How would you suggest alternative routes for textile designers to survive? I think a lot, a lot can be done online, even in terms of textile sales, because you can have, um, well, the company that I'm heading right now is into handloom and into promoting handloom. And we're actually trying to see how well can we photograph or video um, the textiles that are being produced so that people get a touch and feel of it online by just mm -hmm. looking at it. And... Mm -hmm. uh, um, in today's day and age, how many people actually uh, hold a piece of textile before buying it? A lot, of, a lot of the buying is done online in any case. A lot of our sales uh, happen, even international sales happen, like say from Ranthambo or Kashmir, um, online. So um, I don't think it's such a tough ask. Right, I think logistics question. right now is the, the issue. Next question from the audience for Ashwini Deshpande. Would design firms like Elephant, for instance, consider offering work from home internships during this period? Would you hire somebody to work from their home, Ashwini? So I think internships is, is a tricky part because I don't think internship is only about learning on a project. I think it's much more about the culture of the place. It's much more about learning, learning from other interns learning from, you know, I don't believe uh, internships can be done online. Uh, at least we are not considering it. But if somebody has worked out a model which works just fine and people still learn culture and peer and so on, then uh, happy to hear Got about it. it, but not at Next that. question for Vinay Rao. Uh, Vinay, we have a viewer who asks, product design doesn't offer much opportunity for freelance work, right? Because it requires organization, prototyping. I'm guessing it requires a physical office and other infrastructure. What can product designers do to capitalize on the current scenario? Uh, I think the first thing is if you want to stay freelance, then, um, you know, you've got to bring down your selling and general administrative costs. So you've got to pick a platform that's going to do the marketing for you to start with. And it's going to solicit, uh, you know, customers for you or at least opportunities for you that you can bid on. So you spend a lot of time bidding on those things and spend a lot more time in doing things so that you can actually earn revenue. Uh, but an even better option might be to instead of being instead of freelancing then you know you could jo join a an already distributed 
for the masterio there are quite a few of those one of them is asked uh, popping up around the world so that's always an option so if you have the portfolio if you have the skills if you have the reach if you have the experience then uh, you know i don't think that's really much of a constraint right. um, freelancers in general you know they spend 80% of the time marketing right? and 20% of the time doing work and that's something they need to flip over next question in ask ask idea anything goes to uh, uh, jd milan karipa asks uh, jd uh, you might have a curious smile when i give you this question why do corporate cut design budgets first i okay let's take it in two ways i think corporates will have two sorts interestingly today kind of will have two kinds of design budgets one the budget for their own in house teams and the other which is for the external agencies and so on um what has happened in the past 5 10 years is increasingly the, the size and scale of in house uh, agencies or rather in house studios have actually gone up if you look at the deconstruct report which we published early this year you will see that that kind of really outweighs the external agencies so so essentially if you're thinking of being an agency to a corporate yes likely that anything which is outside of the company will get cut but if you are an internal um, studio like we are and i've been part of so many kind of now um actually we are still hiring because we still feel this is a great time for us to design i think rashmi also mentioned that this is a great time to do all the things that are actually on the backlog which we have always wanted to do and have not been able to because of business pressure this is actually the perfect time to do it so while we are still hiring internally we might actually cut out external costs like marketing um advertising a whole bunch of other things sales etc kind of thing because obviously there is no sales happening right now the flights are grounded so so yeah that's probably where they will be cut in the external but probably no cuts or even enhancement in the internal budgets all right another question that just come in says what's the one message this panel would like to give to clients during this time anushka you said you're ramping up the amount of work that you're doing are clients ramping up the amount of money i think uh, that point was mainly about also trying to help project that were doing things in the core the project with dalberg india two weeks ago and you take out like one month to do a project like that but we made sure we worked two weekends to do that project because we really felt the timeliness of launch was very important you know um so i feel like when you're ramping up it's also about where you are and you need to be a little need to be a little concerned about like for example are people just expecting you to ramp up because they think you're free you know i think it's good to have a schedule and map your time and manage expectations as well that said i think something very interesting that's come out at this time is mutual empathy i think everyone's really understanding that people are working from home and there are certain things that are going to happen and there's a little bit of leeway that even we're giving clients clients are giving us and i think sometimes it's also good to notice the positive side of these things right so like people are just being a little bit more empathetic if you're not able to send something on time or you know if you're not able to schedule a meeting as aligned as possible with everyone So I think there's some positives coming out of here as well with regards to relationships with clients. You know, Ashwini, same question to you. Messaging to clients, what are you telling your clients? What are they telling you? Uh, so very interesting times, and uh, in you know, I think as the weeks are passing, uh, the messages are changing. So first couple of weeks, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of uh, checking what could be done for this situation. Could there be some quick solutions from from our companies that could come out and so on? And those all are. they all happening now uh, but as we progressed i think we realized most of us realized that uh, we don't have to change drastically or radically uh, to just manage because we are working from home so all those businesses that are actually going on and there are some for example fmcg is is going on uh, or pharma is going on healthcare is going on i think all those businesses that are on right now that haven't halted uh, there is no reason to radically differentiate something but all those that are completely halted and this is the interesting part all those which are completely halted are actually thinking of what to do ahead and uh, you know we are here to give that patient ear and uh, you know the support and facilitation and all of that so it's like they say that you should have planted your tree 20 years ago i think many of the clients i would say if you haven't planted it do it now it will come in handy when next time there'll be a I hope not, but if there will be a situation like that, that's what I would tell the clients: plant your tree now. Aish, next question for you. Uh, one of our viewers asks: Okay, work from home is all very fine, 
how do you get the tangible aspects of the design process prototyping testing iterating especially for physical products you work a lot with physical products that require touch and feel how do you do all that when you're working from home you know one thing we need to realize is this work from home is not forever mm -hmm. it is going to change mm -hmm. there is this tactile experience that cannot be cannot be done from this digital medium you know when you're working with something there's a weight there's a structure there's a wooden section that needs to work in one way. I mean, when we're doing products, we don't even rely on our drawings. We rely on the prototype that is made. It's experienced. You sit on a chair, you know it works or it doesn't work. There's no amount of drawing or digital imagination that can make that happen. So that aspect, I feel, is something which will have to be done the old way. Um, I, and, and yes, the lockdown is going to get over. We're going to get back to it. We need not be involved in it like all the time. We can distance ourselves and go back to it. That is something that can be done. But I think that one experience cannot be changed. There's also the other thing, which is seeing how a process and a product interact. You know, a product is the outcome of a process. And sometimes the process gives us hints as to what can be done better, simpler, more beautifully, more elegantly. And I think that experience of a process is, is something which can be done somewhat digitally, but not quite. I think there is this. Um, uh, this close proximity and relationship that you need with the product to actually make it work. Next question for JD. Uh, from Rinmai who asks, how are design studios managing immersive user research? You did a pretty intense uh, two-week two project to bring the Arugya Setu app. How did you manage to do immersive user research with the lockdown in post? Uh, yeah, I wish we could have done some of the immersive research stuff. I think um, a lot of it actually um, was fairly rushed because of the nature of what we were, we were and we still are dealing with. Um, so it, it probably went with a relatively thin research, but we have been interpreting data pieces every day, every night, kind of that's been going on. There have been the other thing is that the government is actually making a call, a set of calls to people who have been unwell. And those calls also provide us a lot of data. So I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, yesterday there were about 1,41,000 calls made um, and out of those calls you would at least get some data on the way people are using it or not able to understand a whole bunch of things so the amount of data is enormous that's that's what is happening and every day we're getting it where we are moving with it the example that i would like to give you is not that though i would probably give you a very quick example from a very different situation which was not a wartime situation but a peacetime situation where one of our speakers for Design Up in Singapore, she actually told this wonderful story of designing for the immigration counters in New Zealand. And obviously you could not go to the security and keep going again and asking people. There are people who are tired, who have got kids, who have come after 24 hour long flights. They recreated an immersive virtual environment. They would make the same users go back to it again after they have been rested. Um, and they would kind of talk about what would it feel like, what if, what not, etc. And I think this was a wonderful use case uh, of how you could use immersive research in situations where you really can't go back. Um, this would be a great example if you could have the setup kind of ready for us. Anushka, next question for you. What should a 2020 design school graduate uh, be thinking of when they apply for jobs? They're all going to be graduating in the middle of this lockdown. Yeah. If one of one of them were to apply to you, what would you expect portfolio wise? What should they what should they be doing mindset wise? I think uh, firstly, let's acknowledge that right now it's a tough time. I think you know companies like maybe Jazz hiring you know from outside. I think they should also look at where to be applying right mm -hmm. now. So perhaps companies that have internal design teams or companies that are slightly bigger that work on like very large scale retainers that can manage to hire right now, they should look at applying to places like that. But that said, I think if you're applying to um, a smaller studio right now, be, be a little empathetic about the time as well, because I think sometimes a lot of people apply and they keep following up. So it's good to kind of also be empathetic about the time and maybe even talk about the fact that you, if they're open to starting a little later so that you know people can look at the portfolio with the lens that, hey, this is not for someone who wants to join right now, but later and they can flag it for, you know, their teams to go through their portfolios later. One general feedback, I would say, and maybe Ashwini would, would kind of agree to something like this is keep the portfolio brief. You know, I think a very succinct deck is better than sending multiple links to things. 
and i think uh, more about the intention uh, of your work rather than a plethora of work i think also one little feedback to people who are in design school you do a lot of various projects you know but get a deep dive into one or two projects and that really gives us a lens on how you look at your work i think perspective right now is more important than showing oh i did like you know 10 small things in these 10 projects so i think that's just general feedback right that's excellent advice tanushka okay we have a curiously interesting question from agnishika and i'm going to direct this to vinay rao agnishika asks we often discuss what we wish for start in design schools is there anything designers wish design schools did not teach things that you have to unlearn after leaving design school i think it's a yeah it's been a while since i was in design school so like my answer is going to be a little colored um so they they were i think there was this uh, you know state to process uh, sort of rigor that was in design school that there is only one method for for doing something that uh, and you have to follow that uh, sort of regimen and protocol uh you know in in, in real life uh, that's not really what happens what happens is you make do with the resources you have in front of you and you just make do the best that you can in the time that you have and in the budget that you have and that's really how products are done uh the other thing was i think was an overemphasis on form um while you know now you know form is stable stakes and you assume that everything looks as good as the incumbent and it's not be making has to be at least as good or much better and has to be as the other panelists said you know less time less energy less attention than um, anything else it has made before uh but there's a lot lot more uh, to anything that you do you have to learn how to sell your uh, you know what you've done you have to learn how to go out to the real world with what you've done i think there's a lot of the boring side uh, that you know we consider boring in business but can be done very nicely and in a very designerly way by the designers it's something that i wish that i was taught it and that was a part that i had to unlearn and learn you know, for the last 20 years devika what did you have to unlearn after leaving design school it was so long ago i think i learned most of it <laughs> but uh, i would say the first thing um, that uh, that struck me when i started work is that we gave way to emphasis uh, on the product on the outcome when actually learning should be about the process and and especially in the sector that i am working in process is really really important because if you can if you can like master the process or figure or tweak the process out the outcomes are multiple and it can uh, it's a very different way of looking at things the i think yeah so yeah form and you know product was always the emphasis um that's one big learning and the other thing is i wish i was taught the environmental cost of what i was doing mm-hmm. you know what i was do- up to uh we as designers we never ever look at the ecological the humanitarian the environmental costs of uh, what we create and i think that's a huge learning that needs to come up uh, in schools not just design schools but i think in pretty much every discipline aish next question for you do you think in this period of uncertainty that uh, digitization and technology will make inroads to into artisans into the craft sector into artisans collectives you know i'm fairly certain it would and i'm very positive about it because i think this is one um it's a very important link that is to be established and artisans themselves are getting pretty savvy about using technology mm-hmm. we communicate on whatsapp you know multiple media i get messages on instagram from some of the people i work with so i think the 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 ground is ripe the artisans have technology you know tech technological access they have the smarts they have the will they have the drive and as they become mentioned they're super resilient they want to get on with their lives and i think the lag has been not on the artisan side but on the tech side mm-hmm. in being able to develop the tools that are easy simple linguistically appropriate mm-hmm. uh, to make it work so i think this is something which is long overdue and will happen uh, i just want to add one thing which goes back to the previous question the thing that i had to unlearn was design process mm-hmm. we had to completely unlearn it because there is no one way of design there are so many ways of design and how to develop a process as you are in the project mm-hmm. as you are dealing with what you're dealing with is something that um, you know i like to mention all those who are in the world of education please teach how to make a process 
and not a process. I would right. like to I would like to add to the yeah, uh, design in tech in the craft sector part. Uh, we really really need help. I'm a real tech klutz. Huh? I'm just an extension of the artisanal world. Um, we really really need to work out tech tools that are capable of being uh, processed or uh, worked upon with cheap smartphones because not every artisan has a computer or has fancy uh, smartphones, but everybody has um, um, an inexpensive uh, phone in his or her hands and they're really savvy in using it. I've been using uh, WhatsApp and I've been using, I've, you know, the Kashmiris I work with have been using WhatsApp and uh, uh, Facebook and all the uh, social media platforms since uh, whenever because, you know, they've been facing the situation that we're facing right now for 30 years. But uh, yeah, so I, things that are simpler, can we do Excel sheets, can we, you know, where it's easier mm -hmm. to access on a kuti screen, on a tiny screen. All right. Time for our uh, third poll. What should the government do to help the design industry? And by design, I mean design and the crafts industry both. Recover. Do you need financial assistance? Do you need a tax break? You don't want the government to do anything. Just stay out of the way or completely other things. All right. So it's an even tie between financial assistance and tax breaks and other things. All right. Yeah, Devika, you were saying the government needs to recognize design. Yeah, it has to recognize design as a viable sector that is actually feeding our economy. And if, if you pump in enough ideas and enough uh, policies that could push this discipline forward, we can generate huge revenues. Mm -hmm. It's about time they got design in the mainstream. Um, in the craft sector, we really need tax breaks. You just cannot put um, a handmade product, which is ecologically so savvy, environmentally so savvy, and in the same tax brackets as a mass manufactured product, which is just ruining the environment. Ashwini, I'm going to throw the same question at you. Uh, what, in your view, what could the government be doing at this time to help the design industry and by extension various other industries? I think firstly, I uh, completely agree with uh, what Devika said. I think they firstly need to recognize that design is an industry. And uh, it's again not one size fits all. So within design, there is a craft and there's a technology and there is a whole host of other things. So each one needs to be understood, recognized. And uh, well, I'm not so much for financial assistance from governments, but I'm much more for uh, recognition and empathy from the government so that we are left to do our own thing the way we can do best. And uh, we can also help the government to do some of those things that they don't seem to be doing right. So bring design into the government also. And uh, yeah, I, not so much for financial assistance. Too. Okay, next question goes to Anushka Sani. This is from Purvi. Uh, she says one of the positive outcomes of the pandemic has been that the earth seems to look and feel much better. I think today the Himalayas were visible from Sharanpur. And people are reporting dolphins returning to seas and bays and everything else. And this is an incidental benefit. Post-lockdown, do you see yourself being more mindful in terms of the work that you and your company take up? Yes, I think, um, I think generally, um, you know, we've tried to be. I think I'm also like a very avid diver and I'm always kind of taking breaks to go and spend time in nature. And I think even kind of thinking about small things you do in your daily life, not just in your business, are going to become a, become a thing that people imbibe. Uh, Jaydeep, next question for you. Uh, it's actually a philosophical question, so I'm going to ask you to wear your Bengali philosopher hat. Uh, the question is, we want less consumption and yet more employment. How do we achieve this balance? I think that's the hard one. Um, what probably this has taught us is that actually we can consume less and still live. Um, I guess what we are missing out on a lot is the social aspects of it but maybe not necessarily the consum consumption part of it. I mean, so that's, that's the hard one. Um, the other part which can be there is probably digital consumption, which is the, the um, what are you probably streaming a whole bunch of Netflix and Disney Plus and all of it. So there is a consumption of a different level, but not maybe goods and, and services in that sense. But having said that, we are also animals who need to eat and do other stuff. It, it's a harder one because the moment you consume less, um, you're probably having a knock-on effect on a whole bunch of other people. 
mm-hmm. um, whether it's a craftsman or a farmer, because the eventual producer of something of the, the raw material also gets equally impacted. Um, the only other other sort of thing here is that we all become entertainers and have our own stand-up shows or <laughs> some fun things. But apart from that, kind of um, consume less and maybe, uh, I think the other thing is probably the 80s were talked about as a decade of the greed kind of thing. And it's like everyone getting greedy. And the more, more money you have, the more uh, conspicuous the consumption becomes. Maybe it's time to end that. I, I still remember growing up in Ahmedabad where there were mill owners and they would kind of walk barefoot because they believed in Gandhism and uh, they probably had tons of money, but that, that was not to show off or not to really consume and not for themselves. I mean, it was for others as well. Mm-hmm. I think we need to go back to some of those philosophical roots kind of where we talk about, it's not just to consume, not to show off, not to kind of do a whole bunch of things, but, um, but lead the good life and the good life can be still led without too much of it. Okay. Anushka, I'm sorry you got cut off in the mid-answer. You said you're an avid diver. That's where we lost you. Yeah, and I think we've been seeing, um, you know, uh, an effect on on the oceans for a while now. And I think this is going to make everyone think about it. And I have been thinking about it. I think as a designer, all of us sometimes think about, you know, the impact of our work. And like Devika said, you know, I think we were not taught enough about this in school. And I went to school a lot more recently and I can say that uh, we did touch upon it, but not enough to kind of make the right choices. And I think till today we struggle, like for example, even when we get a new lead, um, I have this thing where I'm weighing it out and saying, is this a project that you know we want to be involved in? And I think it's going to affect it even more now. All right, Rashmi, welcome back. I know there's a thunderstorm in Pune and you got uh, cut off a little bit. One of the questions that uh, we right. have, is is it possible to implement the Bhutan model in India for sustainable craft development? I have to admit, I don't know exactly what the Bhutan model is. Would you like to uh, venture, I guess? Well, um, yeah, well, I can only guess. And uh, this is off the top of my head. Um, I'm thinking that the Bhutan model is probably something that is, uh, you know, because they have this thing about a happiness mm-hmm. index. So they, it's, uh, their progress is based on a happiness index rather than just progress in terms of an economical growth. So, and also if you look at the geography of Bhutan, I think it's more or less landlocked. So, you know, ingress in terms of industrialization is probably slower. Also, Bhutan, uh, and this could be a strong influence, is uh, primarily a Buddhist state. So Buddhism sort of teaches you restraint, mm-hmm and caring for your environment. So all these factors, I think, come into play when, uh, you know, uh, Buddhist, uh, when Bhutan uh, sort of uh, promotes its craft. And Bhutan is also very uh, strongly linked to tourism, I think. So there is a good uh, sort of marriage between tourism and crafts, because when you travel, you want to take a bit back of that country with you. And uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, gift, gifting and things like that. So coming to the question now as to whether we in India can implement the Bhutan model, I don't think so because uh, I think we are beyond the tipping point. Our culture is different, our geography is different, and we are far uh, into industrialization. So there is, there is a huge set of people in India who want really economic, economical products. So um, I think each country has to uh, sort of uh, for, formulate their own um, uh, models uh, and uh, the contexts are different, the culture is different, the legacy is different, heritage is different. All right, we're almost at the end of this webinar. Uh, we're going to get really personal now. Poll number four. How has the lockdown changed you personally? Made me stronger? Made you appreciate? I hate it and frankly I needed this break. I frank, I fall into the fourth category. I needed this break. So I'm quite appreciating the lockdown. I don't know for how much longer, but as of now. All right, 41% says made me appreciate the small things. 23% are stronger. And 26% needed this break. Only a 10% says they hate it. Anushka, how has the lockdown been on you personally? I think for sure been appreciating the smaller things, you know. I think just generally doing the daily chores at home. I think it's also nice because you start appreciating your space at home a little bit more. And you're, you're able to actually spend some time in the house. So I think I am enjoying that uh, uh, for sure. Has it been a break? Not so much. But, you know, I think we're trying to manage and, and do things, you know, in the best way. Definitely a break from traffic. 
So that's a big plus for anyone living in Mumbai. I'm actually wondering whether I'd want to go back into being in traffic for two hours a day. So like that's been something that's been playing on my mind because I got those two hours back, right? So that's been great. Very in our final set of questions, we have a set of questions that have come in from students. Uh, a fairly basic question, I'm going to put it to Devika. A uh, student asks, craft, art and design, how do you distinguish which is which? <laughs> it's actually quite simple. Um, so art is something that I would do. Uh, so that's point that I have is I've probably practiced my craft for quite some time along with working in the craft sector. Um, so art is something that one would create for oneself um, because there is a certain issue that you're trying to address within your head and maybe you will share it with the world, but you really, it doesn't matter if there's an opinion that is, um, if it affects the other person or not, it's a more personal thing. Um, design is always based on um, an issue that somebody, the outside world has uh, put in place and you're actually creating stuff uh, for an external uh, stimuli. And uh, craft is really simple. It's something that's handmade. Okay, that's a Crafting something answer. is handmade, simple. Right. Next question for Jay Datta. Uh, does education need to be redesigned? How to envision a future for Indian education and participate as a designer in that process? Oh yeah, this is this has to be done in a much bigger way, especially if you go down um, down the early years, kind of special uh, the the fifth, sixth, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, I think the way we do it, and I'm seeing my son grow up, and and um, it, it's hard. I think it's education currently is just another term for overload of information and who's done what and how and all of that which is great, uh, but in the era where you can just Google up pretty much anything and everything, the real thing is going to be on how do you connect those pieces of information? How do you make sense of that? How do you think in bets? How do you think when you have incomplete information or, or in a situation like COVID, for instance, where we are working with incomplete information, things are changing every day. How do you, how do you think? How do you act? I think those are the ones which school never prepares you for. Design school gives you that ability at least to sort of look at pieces and parts and, and, and reconstruct parts kind of thing. Uh, like Ayush was saying that you could also kind of recreate your process if you want to, and which is, which is essential in some ways. But education somehow teaches you really can't do that, Indian education especially. So I think that needs to be a big, big part of it has to, has to have things like um, entrepreneurship uh, kind of built into it. I know a couple of people who are doing some good modules which fit in. Like for example, the Delhi government is doing a bunch of things around that where you actually get money to do some entrepreneurial projects. I think those are very, very important. And have fun, make mistakes, and not be always continuously marked for it. Tanvi is sharing her sketch notes with us now. All right, so here's a summary of what all we spoke about. Hope, apocalypse, kickstarting things. Time to speak, take some time, don't rush. It's okay to feel a little down. That's what Anushka said. Health and sanitation is something you should be think of the possibilities in those industries. Help support new learning, connect to corporates. If you want to help Arugis Setu, try and get in touch with JD. We'll tell you how to get in touch with him. Our relationship to our physical hands and to the handmade is changing. Can you work with your neighborhood tailor? Excellent point from Ayush there. Uh, Ashwini said that designers must learn to be diplomatic and not always rub everybody the wrong way. Devika said nothing is more resilient than the craft sector. And Anushka talked about agency and employee renegotiate a relationship between themselves. Rashmi said we can focus on design now, but the good habits that we learned during the lockdown won't start. Devika talked about how to recreate the tactile experience using photos and videos. All of you in the audience said design schools should teach a little more finance and marketing. And product designers, Vinay said, should join collectives around the world that work in remote distributed teams. Oh, that's a lot of stuff we've talked about. Jerry talked about how internal teams have grown. Uh, uh, we talk, Ashwini talked about empathy, and I think so did Anushka about empathy with clients. Ayush talked about you cannot turn everything into a digital process. Some things are physical. A chair is a chair. You need to sit on it. And Ashwini talked about plant your tree now. Anushka talked about portfolio. Show us a couple of deep dives. Don't flood your portfolio with 100 different projects. Uh, hiring people are going to want to see one or two deep engagements, not 100 shallow engagements. Ayush talked about how tech is not kept up with the needs of craftspeople and artisans and how they're ready to, for, to use tech, but tech is not yet, yet uh, in multiple languages and interfaces they understand. 
we talked about, I think Devika talked about, uh, and both Devika and Vinay, I think, talked about, uh, and Ayush talked about, uh, there's no one design process, and you should learn, teach how to make a process, not teach the process itself necessarily. We talked about agencies, we talked about employment, we talked about how Bhutan is different from India, and how we like cheap products too much. Maybe we shouldn't like cheap products that much. Thank you, Tanvi. Thank you for the sketch notes. Right, we have Karishma Ajmera back with us. Karishma. Yeah, just a quick uh, thanks. Thanks, panelists, for fielding so many questions. It, it's great that we had such a diverse panel. Audience got a chance to listen to different points. Thank you, audience, for being patient. And this Q&A session helped add to your own understanding of how to deal with the COVID situation. Here's wishing you all the very best for your own resurgence. All right, I'd like to thank Nishant, Anshu, and Seema, the ADI backbone that makes webinars like this happen and that everything runs seamlessly because they're working furiously in the background. So Nishant, Anshu, and Seema, and Tanvi, thank you very much for your contribution. Panelists, Anushka, Ayush, Vinay, Devika, Jay, Rashmi, and Ashwini, thank you all very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, and bye, everyone. See you.